and welcome to Ox Talks. I'm your host, Chris Oxley. And I invite you to follow me on an ever-evolving journey through the fascinating realms of psychology, leadership, and neuroscience. While this podcast was originally crafted to cater to those navigating the intricate world of wealth management and private banking, I now view it as a personal odyssey, a chronicle of my captivating conversations with these particularly intriguing individuals. Together we'll unearth profound insights and priceless wisdom, igniting fresh passions that will drive growth and development in both our professional and personal lives. Inspired by the sheer wealth of knowledge and charisma in this field, my mission is to shine a spotlight on the curiously interesting individuals I'm privileged to encounter. And so I extend a warm welcome to all who share an interest in these subjects. have ever felt that leadership and sales training is incredibly outdated, then this episode is really going to appeal. Today's guest is a strong business associate of mine, executive coach Dean Cooper. After a highly successful career within management consulting, Dean questioned the training methods in which businesses were providing and so decided to immerse himself within the fascinating world of hostage and kidnap negotiation, interrogation, undercover agents, cult and spy recruiters all in order to gain an understanding of what skills and techniques could be developed and transferred across from that world into the business one. The results are incredible, and Dean is here with us today to share just a small part of where that journey has taken him. So yeah, my name is Dean Cooper. Uh, My background is now over 30 years in management consulting, uh, working with the likes of the big four and some of the boutiques and specializing in large transformational change projects predominantly. Uh, But I now work as um, an executive coach and trainer, helping business leaders, um, partners, directors, board teams um, on how to have greater impact in their leadership, their influence and their negotiation skills. Interesting. So I guess the burning question is, how does a high-flying business consultant at firms like PwC become an elite practitioner within the world of hostage negotiation, interrogation, behavior profiling, and neuroscience? Well, I think it was about 13 years ago, and I don't know if others um, in the business world have sort of experienced this, but a lot of the training that we get exposed to in business, once you've been in business for a while and you work your way up the proverbial ladder, starts to feel a little bit samey. Uh, A lot of the training we get exposed to in things like leadership, sales, negotiation, relationship building, all of those are, you know, based on models that are sometimes, you know, decades old. If you look at some of the psychometric profiling tools, for example, you know, they are, you know, developed in the 1940s and 50s. Some of the sales and negotiation training that we get exposed to are direct from the 1980s and 1990s. Um, And so I started to feel as though, given how we've evolved as human beings, our understanding of how we've evolved, um, our understanding in spaces like evolutionary psychology and neuroscience, I felt like there had to be significantly better answers out there. And so what I did was had a look at those key moments that mattered in our business interactions and just ask myself the simple question, what would the elite practitioner do from outside of the business world when it came to those same moments that matter? So, for example, when we're negotiating, what would a hostage and kidnapping negotiator do if they were faced with the same situation? 
And if you look at hostage and kidnapping negotiation, for example, you know, we think we've got tough clients, but they're dealing with some of the worst of the human race. Um, you're dealing with a human being that is prepared to use another human being as collateral. Um, they were a little bit ahead of their time when it came to virtual working because they rarely get to talk to in person their client. You know, their stakeholder group is extremely emotional. Um, and it is high stakes, you know, it literally is life or death and often large sums of money. Um, and yet they have a 93% success rate of getting the hostage out alive, little or no money being exchanged and the bad guys going to prison. And yet in business, sometimes we struggle to close a deal without giving a massive discount or making some kind of you know, huge compromise. So I thought there must be something out there that we're just not getting exposed to in business. And so that started this journey of really trying to understand that, I mean, more than just reading a couple of books or watching a TED talk, but really immersing myself in those worlds, learning from some of the gurus out there like uh, Chris Foss and, and his team. So I went over to New York and spent time with, with him and his team. Um, that then opened the door into things like interrogation and spy recruitment and behavior profiling, reading body language, looking at evolutionary psychology, um, spending time with neuroscientists to try and understand how our language hits the brain and how we can have greater levels of influence, but also um, do much more with the conversations and time that we have with our clients to, to have a greater impact how to reveal more value, how to deliver more value to clients, how to be more of an inspiring leader to our teams. And it, it was a bit of a mind blower really in terms of some of those tools and techniques and mindsets from elite practitioners from outside of the business world, the things that we're just not exposed to. And so it's been an incredible journey to try and not only understand and explore those, but then to start to try and master them in some way and bring them back into the workplace. And that's largely what I do now is sort of share that 10 to 13 years of research uh, where I've you know, tried to understand it, tried to master it, tried to simplify it, because sometimes I think when we think about neuroscience and psychology, it can get a little bit daunting, but to really package it in a way that anybody can use in business. Um, and I think, in fact, it's more than just business. You use these skills in life. Uh, and so that's been part of the, you know, the really interesting journey. Yeah, I suspect you've met some incredibly interesting people along the way, as you, you mentioned Chris Voss there. And especially for me, being in the recruitment world, spy recruitment and understanding how, how all of that can work. And there's so much here that we could potentially unpack. But if we were to focus in on, I don't know, one specific technique, what would that be? And, and, and why, why would that technique be particularly important? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, there's so many things. Um, that I've learned in, in the last 13 years that are real game changers. Um, so it could be hard to just pick, pick one thing out. I think a lot of it's also down to your mindset and how you view the interactions and in particular, how you're viewing and observing the other person. Um, you know, there's a lot of mileage in, in, in that, but I think if I was to pick a tool that I'm, I'm, I suppose really has, has probably had the biggest influence in terms of the impact I have when I'm talking with my clients or when I'm coaching my clients. I think it's something that's called labeling. Um, so labeling is the ability to be able to really call out what's behind what's being said. You know, being able to read the language that somebody is saying to you, but what is the message that's hidden behind that? 
And, you know, in business, we talk a lot about being able to build deeper relationships, reveal information, really reveal the value that clients are looking for. And I found labeling is this amazing tool and technique that helps accelerate that process. And it has a lot of interesting byproducts when you do that. So rather than asking questions, what you do in, in our normal conversations then, and I'll perhaps talk about why questions don't always work particularly well. Um, in a moment, but being able to label a dynamic allows you to accelerate deeper down your understanding of uh, where the other person's coming from, what they're really trying to say to you. Because I think often as human beings, we'll say something, but it's not necessarily the real meaning of what's behind um, that we're perhaps not quite ready to share with somebody yet. So labeling for me enables you to go much deeper in terms of your understanding, but it also builds this incredible connection with the person in front of you. It creates so much more safety, more trust, and allows them to share more information for you that, that really will you know, change the direction of your conversation, change your level of understanding, and mean you can deliver more value. So could you give us an example of, of what labeling is? Yeah, so typically a label will start with either it seems like, it sounds like, it looks like, or it feels like. And essentially what you're doing is you're replacing a question that you might be asking with some kind of statement. So rather than saying to somebody, you know, so why did you do that? And, you know, we're often taught to ask why questions. I mean, when I was in my early days as a consultant, we were taught the five whys, you know, ask why at least five times and you'll get to the root cause of what's going on. But what's happening at a neurological level is quite interesting when you ask somebody a why question. You know, it's not only are you asking them to explain the reason why they've done something, but you're also at the same time asking them to justify why they've done something. And so why questions can really land quite negatively in the brain. They can trigger reactants. And the more reactants you're triggering in your conversations, the less likely your counterpart is going to be open, sharing what they're really thinking and feeling. So a label is a wonderful way of sort of bypassing, if you like, the critical factor, the guardian that might exist in somebody's brain, making them feel much more relaxed and much more listened to and more heard. And I think that's the other great byproduct of, of labeling is as human beings, we, we it's really important to us to feel heard, understood and listened to. And too often in business, our ego gets in the way and we're trying to you know, educate somebody, tell them why they're wrong, show how much we know in terms of our intelligence. And so we tend to bypass that really important stage in the communication where the other person feels heard and understood. Uh, and the key word there is demonstrating an understanding. If somebody feels really heard and understood, that is an absolute game changer in, in the relationship you have with them. So rather than saying, why did you do that? You might say something like, seems like you had a really good reason for doing that. And it's a subtle difference, but what you're doing is getting a much more relaxed, more authentic, open response. It's actually more conversational for a start. And, you know, if you think about conversations you have with people you know and trust and friends and family, uh, you probably don't ask that many questions. Actually, you're probably labeling quite often. You might say, oh, it seems like you had a great time or it must have been a really good reason why you chose that holiday destination. You know, you're not going to go into um, lots and lots of why questions. You're going to label the dynamic, label what you're seeing. It becomes a real skill when you can label much deeper behind what's being said. So you're drawing some hypotheses, some conclusions around what might be going on. You might say to somebody, as I did recently, it seems like you're really trusting of others. 
Now that instantly starts to take you deeper down that connection with the other person. It makes it much safer for them to reveal more information. And of course, you can start to direct the conversation in the direction you want to go to. So I love labels. They're, they're very much my go-to now. I actually ask very few questions in early conversations with people because I'm finding now that labeling is just so much more effective. And as I say, really does accelerate that connection that you have with each other. Yeah, sure. So I'm, and tell me where I'm wrong here, but it almost sounds like labeling could be seen as a more curious way of, of, of approaching a relationship. Would that be right? Showing the openness to, to, to learn and understand that curiosity. Is that right? Or am I off track there? No, I think it's good. And just in that question alone, you've sort of used a few of the great techniques you've labeled. It seems like this might work. So you're noticing how easy it is to drop into to everyday conversations. Um, but I think that's the key thing. When we feel like the other person's really paying attention to us, when they're really interested and when they're able to play back that understanding, and at those deeper levels, actually make connections that we haven't necessarily made yet. That's when you build much, much higher levels of trust. Actually, at a neurological level, it's triggering oxytocin. Um, and as many of the people listening to this will know, you know, oxytocin is that bonding drug. Um, so the more oxytocin you can produce in your conversations, then um, yeah, the deeper the relationship will become. So it's triggered from that mindset, as you rightly say, which is about curiosity. And I think that's often the difference between, you know, a good conversation or a good practitioner and that elite level practitioner. They have significantly higher levels of curiosity. They allow themselves to leave the ego at the door for those moments. They allow themselves to be genuinely curious about what is this person wanting me to know? And, and more than just facts and information, what is it they're telling me about who they are? What is it they're telling me about what they want me to think about them right now? And the more you can dial into the, the human needs that this other person has in that moment, because in every conversation, in every situation we find ourselves in, we are driven by you know, those deeper needs. So if I can start to identify those needs through my curiosity, not only will I find more useful information to determine you know, what value I can bring for you in that relationship, but I can start to understand who you are, how you operate and how you make decisions. And that's going to save me a hell of a lot of time um, later on when we get to points where there might be some things that we can do together really successfully. Interesting. So you, you've mentioned a couple of times the word ego there. It'd be great just to understand how ego can potentially trip up these opportunities and, and move us away from labels. Or, or And you've also mentioned around um, using questions and where they might where that might be inappropriate or wrong. Is that, are we attaching questions to ego and curiosity to labeling? Is that, is, is that right? Are we, is there some examples we can look at there? I think certainly curiosity to labeling, absolutely. Um, I think the ego and questions is, is, a, is a looser connection, but let's take the two as two separate ideas and, and, and see how they may, may come together. The ego part for me is, you know, we talked about identifying the other person's needs where you're going to have needs in those moments as well. And those needs will be, you know, driven by what's important to you, your upbringing, how you want to be seen in the world, whether you want to be seen as intelligent or powerful or significant, or you have this urge to be liked. There'll be lots of different human needs that will drive your everyday behavior at a subconscious level. 
And so often when in those business conversations, when we come together as perhaps two separate organizations and we're putting ourselves under some pressure to try and win the work or convince somebody to do something in our team, our ego then steps in and our needs uh, step in and, and, and often take over. And when our ego comes into play and our need to perhaps be seen as intelligent, so I'm educating you, I'm talking to you, I'm correcting you, that means I'm not focused on you, I'm not listening to you. So often the ego gets in the way of curiosity, it gets in the way of my ability to be able to really try and understand what's going on for you. Um, so there'll be times when you want to share what you know, but often when you're first getting to meet somebody and you're in that business type of conversation where you're trying to reveal information and build connection, um, it's best to leave the ego at the door. And the really skilled practitioners are able to do that because the great thing about ego is we look good in the moment. And so that can be very addicting. Um, you know, that produces dopamine and serotonin in our brain. So we're fighting at that chemical level. So it does take practice. And particularly if I disagree with what you're saying, then it becomes even harder for me to stay quiet and try and demonstrate an understanding. I feel the urge to correct you. And I think, you know, partly the way the world is with things like social media and how easy it is to correct people. Um, you know, we're training ourselves almost for ego to take more of a role. But the elite practitioner is able to push that to one side and replace it with curiosity. Because if you think about what's happening at that human level, when we become curious, our focus and attention is on the other person. And therefore, my intention, my impact on you is very, very different. Um, and so your experience of me isn't egotistical. It's somebody who's genuinely interested and curious. Now, the skill part then, I think, comes with the use of questions versus labels, because I can be really curious, but if my training is to ask you lots of questions, then that might minimize the impact that I can have on you in the way that I would like. Um, you know, I might be tempted to ask you questions that are good for, for me rather than for you. Um, I might use my questions to lead you down a certain path. Um, so the skill then is if I can replace a question with a label, then I achieve, you know, the ability to reveal information more easily, but we're building a much deeper connection as we go along. Because what we, we tend to find is those why questions will hit the defensive parts of the brain, they will trigger reactants. And so, um, you know, ask as, as little why questions as you possibly can. There's only really one time you should ever ask a why question. Um, how and what questions are good as an alternative? Um, we're often trained to ask lots of how and what questions in our conversations. But again, we've got to be careful with that. You know, how and what questions are great when you're talking about implementation. You know, how do you see this moving forward? What do you want to do next? How would you see that working? Um, so those types of questions can be really helpful when you're wanting to move the conversation towards an implementation or you're wanting the person you're talking to to really think about a response. Because those how and what questions will tend to hit the prefrontal cortex, that more logical human part of the brain, which is you know, relatively new in terms of its evolution. Now, whilst they have their place, when you're asked a how or what question, there's also that part of you, whether it's ego or need, is also saying at a subconscious level, that's a really good question. I need to get it right. So what you may get with some of the responses, you may get a little bit more veneering than you might expect because it was a good question and I need to get it right. 
So you don't always get that deeper authentic response, which means you might need to question further or label further in order to get the real information that's hidden behind. Whereas I found that labeling is a faster route to get to the more authentic response uh, in a much easier way. So obviously you, you work with a lot of high profile individuals. You've mentioned previously around the top four partners of the top four and, and, and certainly within high end law firms as well. And when you're introducing these, these ideas, these, these potential processes, what's is there a typical standoff or resilience to taking it on board? What do people typically struggle with when we're, when we're introducing these ideas to individuals to then taking to the business world? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think the only real struggle, because they're, they're so ridiculously obvious, they're so ridiculously powerful, that there's almost this resistance to what have I been doing for the last 20 or 30 years, you know? Uh, and so the hardest part is actually undoing the old habits. I think the interesting bit is even with very experienced people, so I work with a lot of very senior, very bright, very intelligent, very experienced individuals, and even they have those light bulb moments of, oh my God, you know, if I knew I knew this 30 years ago, this would have been so much easier. So I think that's the interesting part with this is about breaking it down into to, to something really simple, really tangible. The fact that it's coming from places that we're not normally used to. So, you know, we talked about ego, the higher up the chain you go, often the ego can get a little bit bigger. There's another view that imposter syndrome actually gets bigger, but that's a different topic altogether. But we can often be a little bit more resistant to learning new things because we feel as though, well, I'm hugely successful, so I must be doing something right. I must know a lot of really good stuff here. So it's got me this far. I don't necessarily need to learn new things. But because it's coming from outside of the business world, and, and there's this interesting aspect that novelty has on our brain and our attention, you know, when something feels new and different and novel, then we're drawn to it um, at a neurological level. You know, we, we are naturally drawn to novel things. So most people aren't trained as hostage negotiators or interrogators or behavior profilers in business. And so it opens this window for curiosity. So if you can use novelty to open the window for curiosity, make the tool as simple and effective as possible, supported by, you know, a strong evidence base. Um, and then people find it really easy to use. The only challenge really is building the habit. And we know that habit forming takes, takes a little bit of time. It takes repetition. You know, unfortunately, not in the matrix where you can just download these skills. So it does take practice. But once you master those things, and neuroscience shows once you've done something around 60 to 65 times on average, it becomes a permanent fixture in the brain. Then actually quite quickly, you can build a new skill or capability. And as I say, for me, you know, it took a while to, to really develop all of these skills. Uh, and there's way more than labeling that I've had to practice over the years, but it becomes automatic now. You know, as I say, most of my conversations, whether it's with my kids, my family, people in business, very rarely do I ask questions other than when I really need to. I use labeling 90% of the time, I would say. I guess some people can be quite tentative around using these skills to begin with. So how, if you were advising somebody on where they can start building the skill set from in a potentially even a safer environment or, or whatever that may be, how, how could somebody start introducing these this, this skill into their daily life and the business life? Yeah, it's, it's about two things for me. I think the first part is low stakes practice, you know, practice 
in low stakes situations, talking to your kids, you know, where the kids come home from school. Uh, my son came home from school the other day. I mean, I live in Scotland, so, you know, our schools went back two weeks earlier uh, than everywhere else. And, uh, you know, first day back's always painful. Um, and when he came in, he sort of had a face of, uh, that looked like thunder. Um, and I just said to him, seems like you had a rough day. You know, and he just opened up, you know. So I didn't ask him, so what was your day like? I just said, it seems like, and there's that sense of him, no, you know, he noticed that I noticed how he was feeling. I'm looking behind the expressions, the behavior. I'm trying to read into what's going on behind the scenes. And when you can label that, that's an incredibly powerful thing to do in terms of that, that human connection. People feel like they're the center of attention. And we love that as human beings generally. Um, you know, for different for different people, of course. Um, but in those one-to-one situations, when we feel really noticed and really paid attention to, then we feel the urge to open up because we're the center of attention in a good way. So I think low stakes practice, um, practice with family, with friends, practice with those simple conversations at work. Um, the other thing I used to do was pick different days to practice different skills. So for example, um, if I was going to have a labels day, and I say, right, today's going to be Labels Day. And I would practice from the morning right through to the end of the day. Um, every opportunity I could, I would throw in a label. And I would start my day, this will sound a bit strange, um, probably too revealing, but I would practice in the shower in the morning. So I would just call out different labels that I could imagine myself using throughout the course of the day, or I'd make up scenarios where I could label. Um, and I would call out 10, 12 labels. My wife used to think I was crazy some mornings as I'm saying these, these labels. But I would, I would pick a certain day and just practice that skill all day long. Now, we talked earlier about if I can repeat something 60 times, it becomes permanent. If I've said 12 labels first thing in the morning, I'm already a big chunk of the way there to this becoming a, a permanent fixture. So, um, yeah, my advice would be low stakes practice and then pick a day where you just practice this as much as possible. Before you know it, it will become normal because you will notice the reaction you get. You'll notice the response you get. And that gives you that constant encouragement to keep going with it. The other bit I would say to that, though, is that, you know, there's, there's often this natural resistance that can often occur when you're learning a new skill. Um, which I went through as well, and, and many of the people that, that I've coached went through initially, but get through it quickly, which is this worry that they're going to get found out. They worry that I'm using a technique on somebody. So does that mean it's manipulation? Does that mean I'm tricking them in some way? Um, and that's quite interesting when you try out some of these skills that you may notice that that's going on as well. Um, of course it's not. It depends on your intention, I guess. If your intention is to manipulate or trick somebody, then that's the sense they're going to have. But if your intention is to really deepen that relationship, use it to accelerate the process, use it to really build that connection, then people will read your intention. They won't notice the fact that you're using a tool. Even people that I've trained that use the tool with me, if I know they're using it to get to a better outcome, to get there faster, fantastic. You know, why, why would I have any resistance to that? So small stakes practice, pick a theme for a day, and, you know, make sure your intention is in the right place and everything will, will work out for you. Yeah, incredible. And uh, I've obviously been speaking to you for a few months now. So 
I know just this is just a small snippet of, of the of the type of training you provide. But just to give us a, a quick overview, how do you normally take clients on? How does it normally work um, when if somebody was interested, was listening to this, and they wanted to find out more and and, and how you operate with individuals? Could you just give us some insight on that, please? Yeah, of course. Very happy to. Um, multiple ways. So um, I do a lot of work with corporates, working with leadership teams, particularly around leadership negotiation and having greater influence and personal authority. I think that's a, a really interesting area at the moment for a lot of people about building their own personal authority and impact within the business, particularly as they make their way up through uh, the hierarchy. Um, you know, the further up you go, the different type of leadership that's needed, but also the way you feel about yourself, the way you see yourself as, a, as an authority figure and as an inspiring leader evolves as well. And it is new ground when you get promotion. So uh, I do a lot of work with that. I teach consultants how to be better consultants using a lot of consulting skills, using these tools and techniques. Uh, so I run masterclasses and, uh, you know, half day, whole day and, and multiple day programs. Um, we're also working with um, what we call the Elite Practitioner Club. Um, we're actually about to launch uh, a, a new program called the Elite Practitioner Club, where individuals who, you know, really have that need to level up, who kind of still feel as though they're seeing the same old stuff out there in the marketplace, um, want to really level up at a more intensive way, in a personal way, which is a, a, a club that you can join. And we hold masterclasses every couple of weeks. We do live open surgeries so people can bring their real life situations. And as a group, we analyze them, look at strategies and, and ways to move forward. And the success with that is just off the chart. I mean, some of the great stories that I've had from some of the people on that program are phenomenal. You know, being able to negotiate overruns with clients to um, build deeper relationships with people in their teams, to be able to negotiate up the chain of command more effectively, getting great results. Um, I had a client just very recently who managed to secure an 11% fee increase for the year um, and deepen the relationship at the same time. Um, and just seeing people evolve as, as human beings. So, there's a whole mixture of ways in which I work with clients from private coaching to, to large group events. I mean, we've obviously had conversations and we, we're starting to introduce you to, to businesses within the wealth management or more specifically the private client space. And I know there's, there's big interest there and you're already very strong within the legal and accountancy space. So I think there'll be there'll be certainly more to come from you on on, on this podcast as well. And um, we'll keep looking to introduce you to individuals because it's it's fascinating the work that you do and the buy-in that you, you see, as you say, seeing people grow and, and um you know, develop and move forward. And uh, you know, this sort of work it, it needs to be out there a lot more. So look, thank you so much for coming on today, Dean. Um, and yeah, I'll be looking forward to, to bringing you on again and we can dissect another part of this just truly fascinating area. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Great to talk to you as always and uh, great to be part of, of this podcast series that you're putting together. It looks amazing. Brilliant. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Ox Talks. It's an absolute privilege to explore the fascinating intersection of these fields with our incredible guests. And if you found inspiration in our conversation, I encourage you to not only subscribe to Ox Talks on your preferred podcast platform, but also to seek out and follow our guests too. Anticipation is already building for our next guest, and I sincerely hope you'll join us for the upcoming episode of Ox Talks. Thank you for being a part of the Ox Talks family, and we can't wait to have you with us again soon. Thank you.